Welcome to Quality Blether, the Scottish Testing Group podcast, where you don't have to be Scottish or a tester to have quality conversations about quality. I'm your host, Brian Jones, and my guest today is Nicola Martin. Nicola is the Head of Quality Engineering at the AI company Adaga. She's also the Chair of the BCS Special Interest Group in Software Testing. She's involved in BCS Women, on the BCS Council, and BCS Pride. She's also been the UK delegate to the UN Commission for the Status of Women. Nicola has been nominated in the UK Tech 50. She was long listed for Influential Women in Tech in 2019 and was shortlisted this year. She's also a Woman in Tech Excellence Award finalist this year and she's been involved in the Women in Tech Network. She's also very active as an advocate for diversity and inclusion. All in all, a very busy person. Hello, Nicola. Hi. So I think to to start this little chat, we probably need to get a little bit of background on you. You've been in the business for over 23 years. Yeah. Uh, So do you want to just tell us about what your current role is and the background and how on earth you got to that? Well, I am currently head of quality engineering for an AI and data science company called Adaga. We primarily work in the defense space. And how I got to this role, I had been approached by somebody who used to work for the company a couple of times. And I think the first time kind of brushed it aside. (laughs) I had a nice job and I wasn't really looking to move, but... Um, the way that it was sold to me and the the work that the company was doing, I really just thought this is something I need to be interested in because I think this is the way forward. So I had never really been approached by a company that worked on AI models or used AI models. And uh, I knew that there were potentially roles coming onto the market with similar kind of approaches in terms of testing but it wasn't something that was talked about much in terms of testing roles so I thought it would be exciting and something interesting to get involved in and four years and some later I'm still there right so it must be interesting yeah I must admit it's one of the the hot topics at the moment Uh, everybody's talking about it um so I think we'll come back to that one in a moment um but what was your background leading up to that uh, have you always been involved in IT have you always been a tester or was it sort of accidental was it deliberate did you actually chart your career how did you get there so I think at first it was accidental I worked um, prior to being in tech I worked in conference organizing funnily enough uh, this is back in the days where you could walk out of a job on a Friday and walk into a new job on a Monday and pretty much change your career overnight (laughs) (laughs) and the direction of it. I did not go into this agency thinking I want to be in tech. They came to me with a role and said, you know, you could start this role on Monday. And it wasn't exciting. I was quite young. It wasn't, um, you know, the most exciting role. Um, So it was a project coordinator role initially within a team at uh, Glaxo Welcome, which is now obviously GlaxoSmithKline. 
and large team, they worked on R&D um, and other projects and it meant working across different sites. So it was quite a big job, even though it was, you know, quite junior. And I found I really loved the work that they were doing. There were business analysts in the team, systems architects. We didn't have anyone with the title of tester, uh, but we did have people who did that for internal projects. And I found I was just getting more and more and more into the work and doing less and less of my actual day job. And I was being mentored, which I'm not sure if mentorship had an, you know, was being used as a, a word or a name for coaching people and mentoring people. I mean, I, I don't know if those terms were used much back then, but I actually was being mentored by um, a systems architect on the team. He suggested that I had a skill set which I had never thought of before and said I had quite an analytical mind and should consider doing software testing as a career because I was doing quite a lot of that within my role. Um, and we took it seriously. I looked into things. I looked at different roles on the market. And at the time, there were lots. And I thought, I can actually make this work. I could do this as a job. And I did a ISEP qualification at the time and took it seriously. I started to do it more and more at work. And my next job outside of Glaxo was actually as a software tester. And then ultimately I went on to do team leading in other companies before um, deciding that because consistently there were a lot of redundancies. It was at a time where I always say the market goes in, in waves mm -hmm. um, yeah. with a lot of offshoring in the early noughties. So I ended up um, doing contracting. I went to my first contract in 2004, I think it was at Sky and never looked back, um, loved it, loved the ability to choose the projects I wanted to apply for and be able to get real, really interesting work um, at a time when the market was booming. And you could still at that time walk out of a job on a Friday and walk into another one on a Monday. And you know you had such a vast array of projects to choose from. And I just built up my skill set from there. And it was really interesting to work on different projects. I, I primarily stayed in broadcast media initially, um, then moved into uh, gaming and then government projects. You've been um, around that, a lot of sectors then. Yeah, I've moved around a lot of sectors. I always say that, that probably the only sectors I haven't worked in are anything to do with tobacco and probably oil. I think I've worked everywhere else, <laughs> done education, I've worked in aviation. Uh, yeah, so I've, I've worked in a lot of areas. It's allowed me to see how testing works in different team setups, large, small, um, you know, and it's been really, really interesting. So it's all played into my experience over the years. So what was it that uh, you enjoyed about testing that, that hooked you in the first place? I mean, for me, it's because I'm a curious bunny i i love sticking my nose into everything i yes. love knowing what's going on everywhere yeah so what was it for you what what triggered it that probably the same thing so um part of the the thing of saying that i you know this person i worked with his name was brian as well funnily mm -hmm. <laughs> he said you know you are 
very, very curious. You have this analytical mind, apply it to this, this role. And, you know, next time when you're looking for roles, this is what you should be looking for. I, I really didn't think my mind was that curious, but as I, you know, then realized it was like a light bulb moment. And, and yeah, I would say I am very curious. I always ask lots of questions. I, I, I call myself the what if person. Mm-hmm. I'm constantly, you know, trying in my mind not to break things, but I'm always asking about how things work and just very curious. And I don't think that that applies itself to other things. Like, because, for example, there were times where I thought the market's changing when I contracted. I should really think about getting more development skills and and move maybe into engineering proper. Um, but I I constantly talk about or think about the fact that within different areas of tech, we have different mindsets and those mindsets are better applied in, in different ways yeah. rather than trying to put people into what I call, you know, it's like trying to put a round peg into a square hole and then, you know, expecting them to perform well when that might not be their mindset or what their mindset is better suited for. Um, and I, I do feel mine is, is a, about analysis, data, and and that area and testing as well. Um, I did project management for a while while I was contracting and I've been a BA as well. But again, I think that my mindset is best suited to testing and and quality and around data and things like that. I don't think that I really enjoyed being a business analyst. Yeah, it's a similar skill set, I think, and testers yeah. need to be capable of doing that sort of analysis. Yeah. But I didn't enjoy doing that as a full-time role, that being my – I wanted yeah. to jump into doing the testing. So I ultimately found that on contracts where I was the BA, I would ultimately at the end progress into doing testing for them as well. So the contracts would last a very long time because yeah. I was doing – two different roles they they discover that I could do both of them and that was a win-win for them mm-hmm. perfect that's that sounds like my definition of a, a good test as someone that is capable of doing everything yeah uh, but wants to do the testing yeah and is curious all about the skills it. come in handy for the testing or all the skills came in handy for being a BA it's just whichever, you know, if the contract came and it was business analysis, I'd absolutely have that head on. But mm-hmm. ultimately, I'd be thinking about how could we test that down the line. So just thinking about the, the, the AI side of things, as I said, that's very much a hot button these days. Uh, it's something I'm particularly interested in from my point of view in terms of how do we test it. So were you actually exposed to that prior to your current role or was this like a baptism of fire feet first? The DNI. Um, I think actually my DNI exposure has come from outside of work, my day job. Mm-hmm. So that happened because of the work I do with BCS. Okay. And that's how I became interested in that. And then obviously in, in, the world there was stuff happening in 2020 that really pushed that to the forefront but then obviously there were the discussions of right we talk we're talking about inclusion and diversity and inclusion outside in the world because of what's happening in the news but then how does that affect our day jobs or how we're working together as organizations 
And then ultimately that filtered down into specific teams and areas and obviously testing that can be part of it. But where I work for a, a, a company that, you know, is in the data science space, it ultimately also applies to the work that they do with models. And I have an interest outside of all of that now with, um, you know, AI and bias. So it, yeah, it all, it all goes hand in hand. There. Yeah. yeah. Because you are a very vocal advocate for diversity and inclusion. You, yeah. I mean, you're involved with BCS Women and BCS Pride. Um, and a lot of that must come from your personal experience being a black mother, basically, in an, in an IT field. So what sort of experiences influenced that wanting to be vocal, wanting to set the, set the books right? Um, as I say, with everything happening in 2020, I, at the time, had, I think the previous year, 2019, had started to do a lot of volunteering. And just as you've said, the work I was doing as inclusion officer with BCS Women um, and also doing that same role with um, the SIGIST group for software testing, um, you know, I found that I was becoming coming more and more exposed to that with people working outside of BCS and outside of my day, day role, um, they were also showing me what was happening. And, and I was, I just became bombarded with all of this information and, and potentially you see all the areas that, you know, you could work in or could be changed or could benefit as a, you, you said, I'm a black mother. I think the parenting side of things, I just did the parenting thing anyway. And I'm also a single mother. Um, my partner passed away in 2019, which is ironic because that was the year that I started to do a lot more volunteering. Um, and I pushed myself into doing that. I wanted to give back. I wanted to do more. But the the parenting side of the DNI, I will admit, that's a focus more now as I work with um I've worked with groups that focus on women returners, for example, um, and, and how they might get back into tech, potentially. They have a job, essentially, sometimes, and it, it, they want to return to a workplace that supports them as a working parent. So I've been I've been um, helping maybe present at events uh, or um, mentoring people who need advice. Um, so the parenting side of it has been the last part of it. I think earlier on in my volunteer journey, the whole exposure to what was happening out in the world um, in terms of George Floyd, et cetera, that really influenced DNI teams within organizations. So it really then filtered back into teams, different areas of tech and how we might make things better. But my my you know to come back to the beginning of the question, my main exposure to DNI came through my work with BCS. Okay, so it must have been quite a a trauma in twenty nineteen with your partner passing yeah. away and having a young child and a career at the same time. How did you cope yeah. with that? How how so did the, the industry thing I cope did, with that? The first thing I did was actually, I unfortunately, I had a great job. Um, I worked for a test consultancy, um, but it meant traveling a lot. And so I had to make the decision. I can't travel around like this and have a nearly two-year-old child 
I need to make a choice. It's the career or my baby. And, you know, I was torn because I couldn't say I will just give up work. I honestly couldn't see myself being a stay at home mom and more power to women who can. But my mindset works well when I am working and or keeping myself busy. Um, and I wanted to be able to. I didn't want to have it all. I knew I couldn't have it all, but I wanted to be able to do as much as I could. Um, and actually the volunteering side of it that started that same year was a, helped me to grieve. I know that sounds really strange and that's a whole other podcast and, it, you know, yes. but it helped me to get over the grieving, you know, get through that main part of the grieving process and gave me something else to focus on. Um, I wanted to continue working and actually had a lot of support in doing that. And actually the previous company I worked for, they were fully supportive of me during that time. Um, and eventually about six months out from my partner passing, I left the company and started working for Adaga, my current company. Um, and at the beginning they were fully supportive and, and you know, have been very supportive of my parenting journey. Um, and yeah, they, they're brilliant. So I've, not had an issue mm -hmm. sounds like you've been lucky in that respect very lucky and I've spoken about that recently that that isn't the case for all parents returning to work um, and you have to understand that when you come back to work from say maternity or paternity leave depending on who takes on the responsibilities for children it really is important that you have a supportive team to come back to a place of safety to come back to a place where you feel that your skills have not fallen behind everyone else depending on how much time you've taken off and that you are supported in coming back um slowly if that's what you want to do um and that you are coached or mentored into you know with moving forward in your career once you do come back it's really important to feel that you have that support behind you and i know that's not the situation for everyone. So what sort of advice would you give parents coming back into work after taking a, a parenting break? Yeah. How can uh, they actually I, make sure they get that support? How can they go yes. about it? Yeah. Um, again, you must have these discussions with your current employer, for example, um, making sure that they are supporting a parent process or parent processes within the organisation. In fact, you might be able to help them come up with them. I know that at the time you're thinking I just want to get back into work I don't want to think about these things but I often think if it works for me this might help somebody else so you know you could help your company to to set these kind of processes if it's a small company that doesn't have them already um, but you need to work with them closely to make sure that you understand what the end game is if you, you're coming back what their expectations are of you and make sure that you're happy with that. If you're not, be vocal early on. Don't wait until you get back and then, you know, struggle. You must make sure that you have that support when you come back and understand what that support process looks like. I think that they're my key advice points straight off the bat. Don't go back if you don't feel like you're going to be supported. Yep. And I know it sounds easy to say find another role, but consider that going back might be very different to how it was before you left. 
And you, if you don't feel supported in that organization, you should consider looking elsewhere. But for the most part, your organization should support you with mentorship, with coaching, with buddying someone, someone else, if you've been out for say a year or more, whatever it takes for you to feel comfortable coming back and moving back into this role or into another role that you agree upon, then make sure that that's covered in terms of how you get back into that role. Um, yeah, that's the key things I would give as advice. Great, thank you. Um... In terms of the, the broader inclusion aspects, um, how do you think that, I mean, I'm one of the stereotypical pale, male, stale that gets referred to. Uh, and to add to that, I'm fairly neurotypical as well. So how can managers of that stereotype actually accommodate diversity and be more inclusive how can we actually do actively do the right things and what are the um, right can, things yeah i mean it, it totally depends on your organization and what they set as your diversity and inclusion or diversity equity and inclusion um, goals if you like um, and ultimately if leadership and management are not on board with those things it can make it very hard for people to feel as if they belong um, and, you know, to feel like they are part of a team or the organisation cares about their wants and needs. Now, we've taken a couple of things here. We've talked about diversity, I guess, within gender or race, for example, just some of the characteristics. But we've also mentioned about you being neurotypical. So if you're neurodiverse, it's about making sure that the company supports those areas as well and making sure that people within their teams who identify they may they may not come out with that openly at first but that may come out over time making sure that they are supported and that you have processes in place as a, an organization to support those people is important so that may start with your your people or hr teams and then filter down from there but you know, it's easy to say you could go on training or something else um, as a manager, but you also have to buy into it, to the process as well and be a part of that process and understand what your company is asking you to do and, and just generally be a good human being to other people. That's, that's always a good thing. Mm -hmm. the, the company I work for, Sopristeria, has inclusion networks, so women's inclusion, black employees, um, also uh, multi-faith um, and what we call the plus network lgbt plus network uh, which is a bit of a mouthful hence abbreviating it to plus um, uh, there's also a, a disability network and uh, a neurodiversity network do you think that those are a, a positive way of including the the workforce as a whole employees as a whole get the, the team engaged because they are entirely voluntary and it would still be quite easy for people to just sit outside that yeah and you can't force people to join them 
even if they identify as those groups, you can't force them to join. I'd just like to say I used to um, do some work for Stereo when I was a contractor at the Civil <laughs> Aviation Authority. Um, so it's nice to hear that they have those things in place. I'm pretty sure when I was working with them, they didn't have that. So that's a lot of work that's been done in that area. And that's great. But they're fully voluntary groups. I'm sure if the volunteers disappeared, I'd hope Stereo would you know, try in some way to keep those groups going until they had new members joining. But, um, you know, the fact that you have them and that people feel safe enough working for Steria to have those groups start up and to volunteer for them, that's fantastic. That shows that the company's doing something to support, you know, the different groups of people that they have working for them. Mm -hmm. Great. Um, as far as... The, your stuff work with BCS goes. I mean, BCS, in a lot of respects, is fairly typical of the IT arena as a whole. You walk into most of the meetings, and the majority of people are male, uh, and the majority are white males. Um, the fact that the chair at the moment is actually a woman, and the the director of operations is a woman as well, is a positive side. But what do you think that the BCS can do to improve the IT industry as a whole in terms of diversity and inclusion? I think they're doing lots now. And obviously we know that they do work with external groups and we hear the name a lot. So coding black females, for example, we know that they work with groups in industry. There are a lot more groups that in industry that BCS could work with. And I'm sure as we move forward, we'll see more of these kind of partnerships um, spin up and that that's fantastic. And then, you know, the groups on the ground, the volunteer groups at specialist level and at branch level are also working with local businesses or with um, in, uh, industry groups to make sure that we're being diverse. I've just written the chair report for um, SIGIST and, you know, just listing some of the organizations that we've we've been doing um joint joint events with and we will be working on initiatives with next year it's so exciting to me because it, it means that we're actually doing something that benefits members ultimately um and and that's always a, a you know a great thing so um i'm thinking that you know bcs are doing lots to try and move the dial forward um i i'm on council bcs council i'm in other another committee group, I mean, other committees with specialist groups, because um, I give so much of my my spare time to, to the groups. And I, I get to see what's happening on the ground, if you like. And it's, it's nice to see that there's so much work happening and potential work coming up. And yeah, I'm sure, you know, BCS will continue on this route. I know that there's been this year in industry, it's been a bit wobbly, sometimes where it's, we've talked about diversity, yeah. but I see it coming back on track now and, and organizations are focused and, and we will support industry to do that, but we should be also leading in that space as well. And, and we are, and I, I think we're doing a lot more to make sure that diversity is still top of the agenda for organizations in tech. You, you mentioned that you volunteer a lot of your time to the BCS, but it's not just the BCS, is it? You do a lot of other yeah. volunteering. What else do you do? Yeah. So I do 
randomly I'll find things I'm interested in and that, that will appeal to me. And I think to myself, okay, I can give them some time. Um, so I volunteer with um, UN Women UK now as a proper volunteer. Um, this year I was chosen to be a delegate with UN Women UK to the CSW 67 um, conference that they had. That was back in March. I wrote about it in May, but it turned up in IT now in the summer and it's online, my article about AI and bias and just the whole focus of the CSW 67 meetings that um, they had, which is the Committee for the Status of Women and looking at how technology can help with um, gender equality and other areas. So it was a really fantastic time, but then beyond that, I'm doing more work with them now um, around using AI to give women a voice. Uh, and yeah, so it's, and, and a choice as well. So um, it's been really interesting working with a, a big group like that. And I'm looking forward to all the work that comes up with them. And yeah, other than that, I work with um, Women Tech Global Network and I'm on council for them and helping to actually arrange a joint event right now with um, them and BCS. So uh, BCS Women. And that's going to be in London on the 13th of October. So we've got speed networking. We've got people coming in to talk about their careers. And yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun. So um, I do work for other groups. And I've done mentorship for Association for Black and Ethnic Minority Engineers as well, AFBE. Uh, yeah, so I, I do little bits and pieces everywhere. And I mentor for BCS as well. So... What what do you actually get from the volunteering and how would you recommend to other people that they should volunteer? Do you think other people should volunteer? Is it a good oh, thing yeah, generally? I, I talk about that all the time. And when I mentor people, I say, one of the strings for your bow, please consider volunteering. doesn't matter if the organisation isn't BCS, but do consider volunteering for other groups that you really connect with. Lots of groups within the diversity space or within the women in tech space in particular are desperate for volunteers and want help find a group that you know resonates with you and ask to join I'm sure they'd be very grateful for your help and that's what I normally put out to people I get from volunteering a real sense of giving back at first, it started by accident, I will say, this round of volunteering mm -hmm. in 2019, because prior to that, I'd actually done volunteering um, for UN online volunteers, okay. built websites for organizations, did some project management, and, you know, all very virtual when virtual wasn't a big thing. Yeah. Um, but I got some joy from doing that for groups who couldn't do that themselves. So I was helping them. And I, I loved that. And I'd also done um, volunteer work for um, young, widowed and young, sorry, the group um, that looks at people ironically under 55 who've lost a partner. Um, and so yeah, I, I, I did that for them as well and decided in 2019, as I said, that I wanted to do more. It helped me to grieve and I by accident on well, not it's not really an accident I was on my way home from work one day on the train and I, I happened to get an email saying it was the SIGIST AGM and I dialed in thinking oh, I'll just listen in this should be interesting I've never I was a member of BCS for quite a long time but had never attended an AGM and because it was virtual I thought okay oh well I'll do it 
And so I called in and by the end of the meeting, I, I volunteered and been voted in as inclusion officer <laughs> and thought, oh my goodness, what have I done? <laughs> you know, um, but managed to find the time to do it. We did events, we did lots of things that were, you know, really helpful to the community. Um, and yeah, it just, it's escalated from there. I ended up helping BCS women thinking I wouldn't stay in the group for very long because it would all be too much for me and ended up there for a very long time. And I've helped Pride as well. I was with Embrace for a short time as well before they fully started. Um, so yeah, I've, I've worked with quite a few groups. <laughs> mm -hmm. Sounds like a familiar story. I did something similar with Scottish Testing Group. I did a presentation for them. Next thing I know, I'm on the committee. Um, yeah. I went to the AGM for the uh, BCS Edinburgh branch. Next thing I know, I'm on the committee and I'm arranging things. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I can relate to that totally. Um, you mentioned there mentoring. How important has that been to you in your career and how important do you think it is for other people if they want to progress their careers to to go through mentoring and to find the appropriate mentors? So I will say early in my career, I had that mentorship, but it didn't have a title as such. And I didn't really know what was, I knew I was having these meetings every month, but didn't really give it a name. So I didn't call it that. And I've come to realize later that was mentoring. That was really important for me to understand about potential career moves I could make or direction, essentially. I'm very, very helpful and grateful to this day. But during my career, especially as a contractor, there was no mentorship. There was none. I no. say that, you know, I've pretty much, I loved my job. I loved working in testing and other areas of tech. But there was no guidance on career or anything else. You went from job to job. So I did that for a long time. And even in consultancy, there was no support for roles or anything like that um but i did manage to do you know pick projects to work on which would ultimately move me up the the chain in in, in terms of roles and career um and when i finally went back to doing permanent work um i realized i needed to start to think about my career seriously now that i was back in in a position of doing that um, and found myself moving up the ladder quite quickly because I had all that experience behind me and I just slotted into these roles and it, it just worked. Um, so I wouldn't say I had mentorship throughout most of my career, to be honest, and that's why I'm so keen when I speak to people to tell, let them know that that's what they should be doing within their career. And there's a lot more support for that now. So where I look at women in tech groups, there are lots of mentorship opportunities within the different groups, lots mm -hmm. and lots. BCS themselves have their own mentoring uh, whole platform, to be honest. Um, have I used that myself? I will say that it, there are things that could be better with that, especially when you get to a certain level. Are there the people there to support yeah. um, you know, women, especially? Um, are there enough women volunteering as mentors? I don't think so. I can give you an example. Um, I myself, being at the level I'm at, I actually went onto the platform to look for a new mentor and couldn't find anybody who was a woman, not that I'm 
I really cared whether it was a woman or not, but I realized that there were none coming up at my level. And so thought to myself, maybe I'm an anomaly on there. I'm the only person that seems to be doing this. Um, you know, there are other people who are mentoring privately outside, as do I. Um, so, you know, there are mentors out there. Be cheeky, do things like approach people that you really admire on LinkedIn, for example. That's one way of doing it to get their attention. If they can't help you, maybe they'll be kind enough to suggest someone else in their network. Um, and then there are other groups, as I say, that offer mentorship as part of their their offering, if you like. Um, uh, so Women Tech Network do have a, a very active um, mentorship platform. AFBE, as I mentioned, AFBE UK, they also offer mentorship at certain points during the year. And there are lots of other groups that do it, Coding Black Females also. Um, so yeah, there are lots and lots of different groups that you can reach out to um, and, and they will offer you mentorship. Just look online, you'll find something. That's wonderful advice. Thank you. Um, I must admit, I'm involved in mentoring program through the company. Uh, and we do do an awful lot of mentor mentoring within the company, uh, not necessarily structured, but I think it is invaluable. It's certainly been invaluable to, to me through my career. And like you, I was freelance for a very long time and there wasn't that help there. So I yeah. certainly appreciate it. So, yeah, that's very yeah, good I'm advice. I'm really happy that people have that now. I'm really happy because for years I had no advice. I had to fend for myself on everything. And is that a good thing? You you build resilience, but I don't think it's beneficial when you don't really know what to do and you, you're making mistakes, potentially, that yeah. could you know hinder your whole career you really do need advice sometimes at key points and it's really good to have a network of people that you can turn to so mentorship doesn't have to just be one person you could actually have several mentors and now i encourage people to have more than one if, if that's their need i think one of the, the key things i've found is peer-to-peer uh, -peer relationships yeah um where almost mutual mentoring yeah um, and reverse mentorship as well is really great Yes, there's always something to learn. Every every day is a school day. Yes, exactly. And, you know, if you feel like you've got to a point where you're maybe at the top of your ladder in terms of career, but you think there's nothing else for you to learn, forget it. Every single day is school day. Yeah, yeah and I think everybody you talk to has a story that's worth listening to. You can learn mm. some from everybody. Mm. Um, we're sort of coming towards the end of the time we've got, so... I, I've been asking my guests so far to recommend three books that people should read. I know this has been dropped on you a bit sudden, so... Oh, no. I haven't thought of it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um... So what are your favourite three books? What's the, the must-reads in your head at the moment? The odd thing is, I haven't been reading anything to do with work. I find that at the moment, the industry is changing so much and so quickly for testing. I think the last book I probably read was um, the one that was BCS written, the AI, um, the AI testing book that was brought out. But yes, yes, and yes, it's on my shelf behind me. Yeah, Adam Leon Smith. Yeah, Rex Black, etc. Yeah, so that's the last one I've probably read. Um, so yeah, I've not really thought of any any 
testing related books to read. I'm trying to spend my reading time reading nonfiction. So um, it doesn't have to be testing related. Oh, ones no. that, that influence you. Because for me... <laughs> I just finished one that was just so I read really random books just because sometimes um, they interest me and go into my even better, even better. exactly I, this is really weird I'm not religious in any way but I have just finished reading <laughs> I'm going to my library oh my goodness um this um it's called God and Anatomy <laughs> sounds interesting it, it is very interesting it's about religion God and anatomy written and read by francesca Savakapuli. yes can you hear it yeah <laughs> and that's the author as well okay. and that's that's the book the last book i've just finished reading and very interesting but I, it's i'm not religious in any way but i was fascinated because i saw her on a video on youtube and she talks about how religion has been twisted over mm -hmm. the millennia so it's it's really really interesting book that's interesting uh, the last yeah. book i read was snow crush by neil stevenson which talks about how religion and language has been twisted over the years and yeah and she, she does allude to language in there as well yeah it's yeah. a really good book mm. very 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 interesting yeah. uh, well, that was my I'm, last book i might be reading that one next then yeah i send you the link <laughs> yeah i mean i just yeah i've tried not to read um any testing related books because i think that the industry is going through some massive changes at the moment and whether that's with ai generative ai and tools and ways of working career ladders all kinds of things like that i think there's just a lot happening at the moment and i think all the books we currently have on our shelves we can pretty much dump those soon except that new one from yes <laughs> obviously from your predecessor adam yes adam <laughs> just spoke to him earlier <laughs> so yeah um yeah i think we could i don't know how long they will be valid put it that way so. mm -hmm. um i personally i think that the underlying principles of testing still adhere that yeah. we still have to follow the same sort of thought patterns the, the curiosity, the systems thinking, the critical thinking, the, the modeling, understand the model, test the model, and work from there. Yeah. Um, but uh, certainly there's a lot of new considerations to be involved and new skill sets to be learned. There are, there are that's true. And, and just um, it, the layering of different aspects of quality now, it's different. And I think if you're working in a larger company, those things still matter and are core to everything. And it should be within any company that you work for. But I think with smaller companies, startups, the viewpoint is very different. It's about getting things out quickly. It's about agile. It's about being as lean as possible. And sometimes that might mean that cuts are made in the way that they approach quality and testing. And they're happy to accept that risk. And I think that's, you know, ultimately we as maybe SIGIST need to work with industry more to ensure that that's not the case. We need to work with the conferences where they're, you know, obviously giving speakers a platform to make sure that the things we've just discussed, the core stuff around testing is still considered 
even though we're layering on top of that new technologies, new ways of working and everything else. We need to make sure that people coming into the industry still have that core set of skills that make us testers because otherwise you get this narrative that anyone can be a tester. And it's true, everyone can do testing to some extent, but if the mindset's not there, can they really be an, a true analyst and, and you know, think of things outside of the box and, you know, all of that good stuff? I think we could carry on talking about this for, for hours, but uh, yeah. I think that's a very good place to, to wrap up there. But uh, testers are still required, even in the age of AI, and we still have to have that same fundamental set of skills. So thank you very much. Thank you. <laughs> so thank you to Nicola, and thank you for listening. Check out the show notes for the books mentioned. Nicola and myself will be at the Test Expo in London on October the 19th. So please do come and say hello if you are there. And join us next time on Quality Blether for more quality conversations about quality. <laughs>